Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and ebooks online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. Before we get started with this month's regenerative roundtable, I'd like to share a unique opportunity with all of you who are looking to grow their knowledge and impact on the regeneration of our planet and ecology. Between June 21st and the 24th, I'll be sharing a free webinar through the Sustainable Living Guide Summit. Look for my lesson titled Natural and Ecological Building, Reclaiming Your Living Environment with Natural Materials and Regenerative Design, and it's absolutely free. I'll be covering why the construction industry is the world's leading polluter, why modern buildings cause so many health, environmental, and community problems, why permaculture design courses miss the most important aspect of any living site, how you can take back control of your home and built environment, how you can find lifelong freedom by building naturally, and even an overview on some of the many ways to build superior structures with natural and recycled materials. This short introduction course will be the first in a series of resources and short classes that I'll be releasing with the Abundant Edge team over the next few months. What's more, you can learn from dozens of other leading experts, renowned authors, indigenous elders, and innovative organizations from around the world for free at the Sustainable Living Guide Summit between June 21st and 24th. So be part of this powerful moment catalyzing the wellness of the earth we all share. Gather with a global community of changemakers and head now to sustainablelivingguide.org backslash sign up for summit. Or follow the link in the show notes for this episode to enroll today. Together we can grow abundant community, personal, and ecological well-being. Alright, here we are again with another regenerative roundtable. I'm here with the usual suspects. I've got Neil Haggerty. How are you doing, buddy? Doing great, Oliver. <laughs> and a uh, regular on the show, a good contributor and friend of ours, Shad Goodsey from Atitlan Organics. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Oliver. Thanks for having me. Hey, always a pleasure. Alright. Let's start out how we usually do and talk about what we've been up to in this last month because I know we've been working on lots of projects. You guys taught a course. Uh, Neil, why don't you start us off and tell us about the intro course that you guys just finished up with? Yeah, we just did a really uh, a variation of the of the intro course that me and Shad, the Shad started with Atitlan Organics, but that I've been co-facilitating on for two years. Uh, and we made a pretty significant change to the course. We decided to bring all the focus all the the practical learning for the course on the parcel of our worker that's our worker nicolas who's been with us for the last six months and we went up to his parcel and 
instead of isolating all the components of the of the practicals like plant propagation, soil building, contour working, we consolidated them all on his all on his little parcel and we left him at the end of the week with a really nice food forest so that was uh that took up honestly like a lot of my time over the last month between planning it out getting the plants um and and then finally executing it during the course so really that was definitely the the highlight for me this month well, one of the things I like about all of the, the back-end work that we did to plan this is we actually ended up meeting some really cool people and making relationships within the community. Uh, our guy up in Pajomel who does the plant propagation and will probably be doing a lot more for us in the future. And uh, yeah, just everybody else that we got to work with in order to set this up and collaborate with the local community in the process. So Shad, tell me about our last, uh, the last month that you've been working on and the projects that you've had going on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, also the course just wrapped up on Saturday, and yeah, the the project, the practical was absolutely a success, and I think we'll dive into that more deeply. But also, you know, uh, in October of last year, we finally got to a point where we were able to offer uh, three to five full scholarships for Guatemalan students. Uh, to come and take the intro to permaculture course and just like also be at the bamboo and eat the food and just like meet a lot of people from all over the world. And this one was just like super great. I think we had 16 people. We had seven Guatemalans, uh, someone from Japan, people from Europe, from uh, North America, just really a super diverse group. So that's like always exciting. Um, other than that, the rain's been like hammering us like nonstop. Uh, it's been a really wet May and June and we didn't get our greenhouses up yet and we decided to just like throw the plastic up with a couple of bamboos and like some twine and it's holding up really well uh, but I don't think those greenhouses can come fast enough. Yeah, it's been really similar for us when these really heavy rains came you quickly see where all the leaks are in your buildings and every part that starts to hold water where you didn't want it to. We had to do some real drainage uh, kind of additions to the goat house because it was starting to get wet inside of there. Tell us about some of the things we had to renovate, Neil. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was a funny one. I mean, I guess it was actually a pretty basic error that we made. We terraced out the goat house on a, on a downslope and we put in a little drain above the house but it just it wasn't enough so water was coming down and it was seeping in um so we ended up like having to carry in a bunch of pebbles and sand to bring the level up in the goat house and then also dug down made sort of like um a french drain um also put in drainage also put in um canals on the roof and then terraced up above the goat house as well so that those actions combined now mean that it's like nice and dry and and cozy in there which is nice because we also just have like five new baby goats uh chilling in there so it's really nice to see them on like a nice dry uh strawy kind of floor you know that's been one of the really fun things uh the baby goats are two weeks old now we've got five four girls and and one macho and they're just old enough now that they've really got energy and they're bouncing around and jumping on everything. And pretty soon we'll, we'll start weaning them off of, of the milk and they're going to just join the rest of the herd when they go out for the caminatas to go and uh, forage. And that's most of their food each day, right? 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's a whole. We should probably do a whole other episode on on managing goats, but yeah, it, it's nice. We let them. Uh, Shad, I was lucky that we got our goats from from Shad and at the Atlanta Organics, and he had a nice system down that he taught to me, where he where we let the goats drink all the milk they want for the first two weeks, and then start to slowly wean them over another two month process. Um, so that's really important. It works well for like the health of the goats and also for for milk production. So yeah, that's that's fun. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think any like kind of dramatic changes in animals and their diets have to happen like uh, gradually, you know. And as Neil mentioned, it w- the weaning process may start at two weeks old, but it won't finish for three months. And there's a a process to go through that so that they're healthy. Yeah, I mean, managing any of these living systems really uh, in a regenerative way has to be focused around the health of the main participants, whether it's animals, plants, uh, starting always with the soil and, you know, the initial inputs. On another note, the the house that we're building is moving along really fast now. We finally um, put in the rest of the straps. We call them cintas, which are offcuts of bamboo, in order to wrap up the walls. And we've been filling them all up with our earthen mix for the bajareque uh, configuration. We finished the entire first floor. We put up all of the support joists for the second floor. And this week, hopefully, they'll finish up filling up uh, the walls with mud. And we'll start doing some finish work and even moving into the house. Because both me and Neil have been camping underneath our unfinished house while the work continues on. And it's been quite a process, especially with this amount of rain. Yeah, it's pretty intense. (laughs) Hey, it's one of the sacrifices you're going to make. There's a pun there. I'm not sure if you got it. (laughs) So... Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is why we keep them around. <laughs> so yeah, so the the, uh, the last month has been really involved. A lot of cool projects getting started, but one in particular that I really want to focus on on this episode is what we're tentatively calling the service project. Now, Shad, you really took the lead over this, kind of slowly developing it over the last eight years, finding a way to really put some of our expertise and knowledge to work for the local community, and part of that prototype was worked out on the last intro to permaculture course like you guys talked about but could you go in depth a little bit about how we're going to scale this up and what is the main aim of this project yeah thanks oliver um i know we have we have a bit of time uh still maybe i'll take a few minutes and give a little background so uh, while bootstrapping the farm, I guess now five years ago, I had a job in a NGO, a non-government organization that works in Guatemala. And during my two years there, I was the agricultural specialist, made uh, four community gardens, about 50 or 60 gray water, banana circle gardens to stop the dirty water from going into the lake. Uh, even though I believed in the work I was doing at the ground level, I had a lot of challenges about NGOs and just the whole approach to international development uh, and outside development. And I actually just felt really challenged by it. And over like those two years, I got quite cynical and uh, quit, you know, and, and uh, really kind of denounced the whole nonprofit world. Um, I won't go into all the like reasons why I think I had that position then, uh, but a lot of it just felt like these solutions that are presented are oftentimes out of context, that they're not like 
appropriate to that particular community, that particular valley. Like something that would work here in Sununa may not work in Hybalito. And I think a lot of the NGO approach is like a one size fits all. So anyway, then the next several years, really Atilan Organics focused on the profitability of the farm and focused on also building up some local producers. So we buy some of our salads from two local growers. We buy a lot of our coffee and a lot of our honey. So kind of focusing on those relationships. But in the back of my mind, I always had this idea like, we, I want to give something back. Like we're, you know, the Valley of Sununa has opened their arms to us and we are visitors here. And it's nice if we can be of service to the Valley, but also being super careful to not fall into that NGO trap of just doing something that like we think works, but is not appropriate to the, to the town. Um, another aspect of this is I think bridging the cultural gap by having a lot of people work together on for a common goal is really an important aspect as well. Um, and as I mentioned, the courses, they're always so diverse. And the more diverse the group, the better. Like everything just really harmonizes. So I also wanted a way that we could get international travelers who come to the lake, to Unbundant Edge, and to Atilan Organics to also give something back to the community that it wouldn't just be something that we do as a team on our end, but that we actually involve people who come to visit the project or to take a course or to do something else. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've basically kind of like brainstormed a lot. Neil and I have just really, uh, in the past month, I would say just really started seeing all the pieces. And I think Neil, you, you said it to me, really, it's been right under our noses for a year or two. We just didn't like see it all, but yeah, we didn't join up the dots. So I kind of, that's kind of my little intro. I don't know. Do you want to maybe like mention a little bit about like what the actual, what we kind of came up with uh, in the end, Neil? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's it's so true what you say that it was right under our noses because always the, 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 the challenge for us in the courses is to get a, a good practicals involved that back up the theory. But because we like advance pretty quickly with our own projects like you on the farm, a lot of things like the earthworks and the soil building techniques and especially you working with the A-frame and the hose to work on contour, a lot of that work has already been done on your farm. Um, and it, but it is such a, a, a kind of a vital component. So then this time around, we decided to, okay, let's go and plant a, a food forest on, on a local person's land. Um, and it was great because we got to teach all those sort of like practical steps. First, we had practice working with the A-frames and the, and the hoses, and that got matched up with the lecture on, on contouring and, and soil conservation and water management. So, you know, they, the students got to hear the lectures and then actually go out into the field and, and see those contour lanes. And then we started to like pull the rocks out and make walls. Um, and then we have like a whole section on fertility. So for that, the students got to go to the composting chicken house. You explained to them how it worked. They got to harvest compost and then also all the organic matter that we like chopped off the land to get it ready, got stored as mulch. Uh, and then our plant propagation section, we got to, you gave a good talk, Shad, on, um, on what grafting is and why it's like an important, interesting technique in agroforestry. And we got to go up to the farm and like, you teach students to use their intuition to uh, to propagate useful support species um, for our kind of like the jewel in the crown, which was which was avocados. 
Um, so as Oliver, as you mentioned, we, uh, we, we, we made a really interesting connection with a, with just a great, uh, nursery owner here who lives up in a, in, in a nearby village. And he's just like a ninja, as Shad would say, in like at grafting. You know, so we got to use, we got to see how he grafts his trees and, uh, and, and teach that to the students. Um, and then the final result was this like just small parcel of land that now had all these earthworks done on it, all these like dry stack walls on contour and little terraces that was now so much more inviting as a planting space. And then we kind of culminated the week with like making really nice holes, filling them up with a nice mix of compost and soil, planting our avocado sp- trees and all our support species around them. So, you know, the feedback from the students was great. I think they felt like they learned a whole lot. And then also, as Shad says, the, the beauty of it was because we had like these seven uh, Guatemalan scholarship students from also like diverse areas in Guatemala, uh, most of them from rural areas, uh, mixed with, you know, some Guatemalans from the city um, and some international students, people from Japan, Europe, all of us working together. It was like a really fun uh, activity. You know, we had music on and then also Nicolas and his kids were there working with us as well. So it was like really like... Uh, um, I found it a very uh, beautiful experience to be part of. I I felt like very privileged to be part of it. And there's something about it in the culture as well. Like there's this really interesting word called kuchubal that that the locals use, which kind of just means like group activity. It often means like everyone gets together and works on a parcel together to like plant corn or something like that. So it had that like feel of of a kuchubal to it, you know? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Neil. That's yeah. It was a great week. I agree. Just really beautiful. Just like finally planting the trees and and then leaving them all mulched and it really looking nice. Um, and I also wanted to just kind of comment as well. So Nico and his family, they were the owners of the land. Also, they work at Abundant Edge, and um, he had a, a young, I would say, two year old coffee planting already in the works there. So the field is something like a lot of people in in Sununa, they have coffee fields that are like not, not stuck to their home. They're like maybe a mile or two kilometers or something away, but they're managed, you know, they're kind of like a managed zone three, right? Uh, and I think that's a lot of what we're going to see. So if you, if you haven't guessed it yet, our idea is to take what we did in this past course, this past week and start to do it for, for groups regularly, like maybe to, to, you know, set some goals around how many trees to plant. But uh, this was the first one. And uh, basically, even without having an intro to permaculture course, just to give this opportunity to different groups who want to come to Guatemala and do something that will be basically working with local family member, local families from the community, assessing their land with them and seeing what their goals are. But I think what we'll see a lot of is this coffee. Coffee's still here. Um, and that we were able to work around the coffee, none of them got killed, that we were able to to do earthworks around that main crop for them makes the coffee grow better. It enhances on the goals they've already set about. And then on top of that, adding in this layer of avocados and support plants. And I think it really kind of like really coalesced in my mind seeing it this past week that like wow this is probably what it's going to look like a lot people are growing coffee the coffee plants are suffering we're going to improve the water and soil conservation 
and diversify the field and give them also an edible crop on top. Well, so that's one of the kind of add-ons to this project that I'm really excited about. And we're not just planting any avocado trees on these people's land. I mean, avocados are originally from this area and there's an incredible variety of species and types that um, either do well in a certain ecosystem, have some variety of fruit that's really sought after. All of them have some traits that are worth holding on to, but with globalization and the, the trade of avocados, a lot of those genetics are being lost. Can you tell us a little bit about how we're going to be preserving heritage breeds through this ecosystem restoration effort. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, like I think we're all, all three of us are just super excited about this project. I, I'm glad we're dedicating a lot of this t- uh, podcast, this roundtable to this idea. I just think it's so textured and it's so awesome. So we've already kind of touched on, you know, the, the resource conservation, soil and water conservation and uh, enhancing the coffee plants, uh, the coffee fields of local Sununa community members. But there's this whole other aspect that to me is one of the most exciting uh, aspects of the whole project is basically, yeah, the preservation of rare avocados that I would even go as far as to call endangered. Um, a quick little back like info. Um, if you take a, a delicious avocado and you like cut it open and it's like the most amazing avocado you've ever eaten. It's creamy, it's rich, it's buttery, it's so nice flavor, just like ripened so well, no brown spots. You're like, this is awesome. I'm going to take the seed of this delicious avocado and I'm going to plant it in the ground, right? Well, first off, you plant that seed, you have to wait around 10 to 15 years before you get your first yield of avocados from a tree that you plant from seed. But then what will happen is you wait 12 or 13 years, say, and you get your first harvest and you're all excited. And then when you see the avocado and you cut it open, it's nothing like the avocado whose seeds you planted. It's really a lot different. Maybe it's watery and kind of crunchy and not so great. Maybe it doesn't ripen well. Uh, why is that? It's because plants have sex. And especially fruit trees, the ver- the genetic variance and diversity that's introduced through pollination of the fruit flower, it makes the next generation of fruit different. And so when you ate that delicious avocado, that was really only the mom's blood, the mom's genes of the of the offspring tree that you plant and who knows where the pollen from the fathers uh came from and so basically all these trees are in a sense unique expressions of of a genetic like pheno a phenotypical expression of a unique gene composition yeah and so here we literally have hundreds of different types of, of avocados we have red avocados we have Brown ones, gray ones, black ones, green ones, pear-shaped ones, long ones, small ones, big old fat ones, like literally so many different varieties of avocados. The thing is, if one of those avocados is really special and that tree dies, there's really a good, good chance that that expression will never occur again easily in this valley. Uh, Coupled that with the fact that a lot of the avocados are struggling here, that there is a general decline in their health. Who knows from what climate change, ecological disturbances in the valley. And you don't see so many 
young trees going up to replace them. Uh, what you're seeing is more Haas avocados, which is one variety of avocado that came from California. So what we're going to basically do is the trees that we plant on the local people's land are grafted trees whose scion or top part is coming from the selected rare local Sununa avocados. And in that sense, if that tree on Nico's coffee farm sticks and the mom tree dies somewhere else, Nico's coffee farm now has preserved the, this variety of avocado that may never ex- uh, exist anywhere else again in the future. Yeah, and which, by the way, are also will be chosen to be super productive, disease-resistant trees. So the management will be lower because one of the one of the problems with the Haas avocado is there's so many of them propagated and they're not from here, so they tend to go hand in hand with quite a lot of agrochemicals. Whereas we're going to be picking varieties that that don't get sick that are like really, really from here, you know. So I think that's really important. And then another thing I'm kind of excited about is like we haven't fully worked out the race but for every 10 grafted varieties we plant we'll also plant one just from seed so that that will keep the 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 genetics updating and hopefully the more trees like that we plant in proximity to these carefully selected uh, heirloom varieties grafted varieties they'll take on like a mixture of those good characteristics and so produce something that's like an updated version of that you know so that's also super exciting to me so tell me both um a little bit about how we're going to be structuring this program uh how can people get involved what is their week going to look like and how can they get in touch with you to find out how to participate yeah um so first what i think our real idea is um we're look we're hoping that groups will come that was really kind of designed for small groups of like six or eight to 20 people uh we're imagining a lot of volunteer organizations we have some uh friends that work at uh kind of volunteer student organizations that plan trips to central america we really want to get young people high school students and gap year students and university students as well as kind of like volunteers and people who come to travel in Central America with an idea of giving something back. Uh, so that's who we're mainly going to like try to uh, attract to come to do this project. Uh, the best way to do it is to check out www.atitlanorganics.com backslash service uh, and you'll see all the information. Uh, maybe Neil can go in a bit more detail, but the week will include a lot of what he already mentioned took place in our trial run this past week but it will be a good mix i'd say about 40 percent to 50 percent really hands-on practical just doing the work on the land but then there'll also be a couple of field trips where we'll get to go learn about grafting with the local nursery ninja we'll get to go check out a permaculture community nearby that's all guatemalan run so it'd be a, a good mix of doing something really fruitful but also having the chance to explore the surrounding areas and meet some other people yeah, because part of the, I think, what a lot of these groups, the, these organizations that bring groups to, to Guatemala, there's there's two points to it. There's really this uh, desire that the groups have to do <coughs> some uh, some work in the community that we're in that, 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 um, that really brings benefits to the community. So to really take part in a meaningful project. Um, and... 
so that's the first thing. They'll get to take part in something that will, you know, produce food, produce livelihood, sequester carbon, produce anim- produce habitat for animals and birds, you know, and have all these lasting effects for 40, 50, 60 years to come. Um, and then, yeah, also have hopefully a really transformative, unique experience. It's it's really is such an interesting place we live because you still do have all of this indigenous knowledge um, from the local people. Uh, we do get like diverse groups and we have diverse groups of facilitators as well. We have, you know, Shad and I and, 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 and some of our, some of our facilitators and, and designers that we've worked in the past, international people will be on the project, but we've also are going to be working uh, with Jose Armando, who's from this local community in Kishaya, uh, neighbors of ours who've, who've been practicing permaculture on their ancestral lands for, uh, for the last 50 years. Um, so we hope that it will be a really enriching experience that leaves the participants with the sort of information and the platform to to just go on and 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 do really good work afterwards you know because that's where a lot of these a lot of these people that come here are are at that point in their lives where they're maybe about to choose a, a course in college or they're just coming out of high school and they're looking to get some like practical real world experience that's going to like open their eyes and 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 really stand to them so i think you know w- that doesn't go too much into details, but it's more about what we what we hope this course can be. You know, a real uh, symbiosis where people get to do something that's really meaningful in the community, but also have a great learning and enriching experience. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's switch gears a little bit. I want to go into some of the details of the ecosystem impacts that this project is going to have. I know, as you mentioned earlier, the primary goal is going to be preserving the genetics of the heritage avocados that are from this valley. But, you know, it would be pretty out of character for us if we were planting those like in a monoculture or just in a, um, a dual culture with the coffee. I know we've got a lot of support plants that we've developed in a gilded system in order to support the maintenance and the health of all of the components of these ecosystems. Which one of you wants to tell me about how we came up with the guild? Yeah, exactly, Oliver. Well, one of the one of the reasons that I came to Guatemala was I got very interested in this idea of kind of forest gardening and was very taken when I read accounts of, you know, indigenous agriculturalists from this area that were that were forest gardens and that had these kinds of systems that appeared to be just wild, unmanaged systems to the to the colonizers that came here. And so it actually took people a long time to realize uh, that this was a type of farming. Um, and you know what people were doing here were they were working with the fact that ecosystems in this part of the world want to be diverse all ecosystems do we know this but i guess for me it's a case of the more naturally diverse the ecosystem you are in the more diverse your um your productive ecosystem needs to be so like i say we're we're the the main crop or the main star of this system is these 
these grafted uh, criollo avocados. But then it's about, you know, the support plants. So trying to bring in plants that fix nitrogen, cover the ground, produce useful biomass, um, you know, produce fruit produce fruits in the short term and the thing can be like pruned back so you know we've we've looked at like um false peanut and uh and comfrey as two of our kind of like ground level and 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 biomass producing plants pigeon pea uh as a as a nitrogen fixer and a fast growing one that will just like grow up and protect the avocado uh and then bananas and tree tomatoes because from observing shad's gill gills on his farm those were like two really really good support plants the banana needs and this is where management comes in so designing the management of these systems is important because you can't just plant all those plants and and hope that it's going to be all right you need to get in there and like prune these things back especially with the bananas that tend to clump the fruit ones and spit out a bunch of baby plants so those need to be like cut back and mulched so that's why including a a maintenance program in the in the design is important um and yeah the whole thing the whole goal is that you produce a productive healthy ecosystem that doesn't just produce food but like i said does all those other things builds the soil improves the yield of the coffee plants that are that are planted around it um provides habitat you know forage for animals can also be another great addition to that gilded system all right uh so yeah i think i'm gonna challenge this a little bit and i think this can make for a really good discussion um so yeah let's let's discourse this um First, I want to know. I like. I never thought of this before. I never heard this. Something you said, Neil, but like that—that that the diversity of your agricultural ecosystem should kind of like match or like mimic the amount of diversity in the natural ecosystem of where you're developing at. So, if you're in a less diverse ecosystem, it's maybe not as important to have ex- more diversity than yeah, what's already there. Grass and grass and blackberries is probably fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's an interesting point, and I, I never thought about that. And naturally, if you're in a place like these highlands of, of Guatemala, there's quite a bit of diversity. <laughs> and sounds like you're suggesting that any agriculturally productive ecosystems that we produce, that we create and design should also have a fair, fairly high mirror that diversity. Yeah, so that's cool. Um, aside from that, this is where I go kind of like where I hesitate, I will say. Um, this is a zone three in my mind, I think of this as the local farmer, like Nico's land that we worked with. It's his zone three. Um, the main crop is coffee. When we got there, there were some like older fruit trees that were like quite old and kind of far, far spaced out. There was like maybe three whiskeel, which is like a vining squash or a chayote, they call it. Um, and what I keep thinking in my head is there's something really just nice or appealing about like one line of plants that you chop between it's something that you do quickly and you don't have to it doesn't need a lot of maintenance and so partly where i feel is i almost feel like by adding in loads of support plants like all the ones you mentioned it changes what the the management needs are of that system from if it was just coffee and i think 
because I want, like for me, one of my goals is that this is an appropriate solution that meets the family's goals with their abilities, that it's appropriate to what they've been doing, what they're used to doing, what they'll probably continue to do into the future. I think that reducing the, reducing the amount of change in ongoing management that we ask someone to take on is going to be important. So I'm not saying we should just do avocados. I think a ring around the comfrey a ring of comfrey around the avocado, excuse me, and maybe a few tree tomatoes, but even that I would probably like not go for. I would probably just do comfrey and palo de agua for some living barriers. And I think I would feel like I could make a case for that being a more, a system with more longevity. Yeah. I mean, look, this is why a, I hugely value your input because as a permaculture farmer in this region, you have, more experienced than most people uh, and certainly than I do um, and so it is about finding this balance between when you first learn about permaculture and start practicing it and realize that you know you can have there's no limit you know the yield of the system is is limited only by the the imagination and creativity of the designer but the thing that quote leaves out is and time and energy of that designer right so uh you know of course you can have all these tree tomatoes with pole beans running up them and all these you know yields on yields on yields um but it it getting managed properly is is the big thing and ultimately you do realize that your biggest investment after a while in these systems is is labor uh, be it your own or be it someone else's so i agree and from you know for me this is it's also the point about design is a circular process we will be this this design project this this serve community service project is the culmination of uh especially shad and 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 my uh sort of years of experience and study in Guatemala as a as a bioregion um, and we, you know we still haven't fully decided on it so these kinds of discussions will will keep happening as we observe the evolution of the of the parcels and talk to the the recipients you know who go like you know it might be yo I love the fact that I've got like you know 10 baskets of tree tomatoes a week while my avocados are growing and then it might also be you know mucho monte i can't like you know so these will be things that we have to take into account and also there'll be changes in the design depending on the answers to the questions of like how much time do you actually have to work here and how far away is your is your parcel you know yeah i think i mean it changes in every context, right? But really, the success of a diverse model is dependent on the size and the amount of labor that can be put in to that system. So if these are local people with very small amounts of land who just have a monoculture in them currently and have large family members who are up there you know, very often, then you can add a lot more diversity knowing that someone will be around to handle the maintenance and the harvest. Whereas if they have a large tract of land and there's already somewhat of a polyculture put on there with avocados and, and coffee, for example, and it's being run by one or two people, then yeah, the, the simplicity and the efficiency of the system is absolutely going to come into play. Um, but that is something that has to be taken into with every different context. Um, 
Did you have another thing you wanted to instigate? Yeah. Uh, maybe not instigate, but just two things that come to mind. And and first off, yeah, I agree, Neil. Uh, the feedback loop of design uh, with Nikos, I think I personally think we maybe have gone went a two bit too many support plants, but that's good because now we can observe that one, and maybe the the next one we'll try with a fewer. Also, the family thing, like you said, Oliver, and depending on the family circumstances and how actively they work the land, someone might want baskets of tree tomatoes. And um, that kind of brings me to, well, first two little thoughts. You know, Mollison said that diversity decreases as you move farther into higher zones. So your zone one vegetable garden and herb garden may have a hundred species of plants. And then as you go out from there, zone two may have 20. And by zone three, it's hard to manage that diversity. Um, And also just to uh, question where you want to be on the scale of diversity versus efficiency, uh, because there is a trade-off between the two. So those two things have come to mind through this discussion. I think one of the unique things about this, and and it goes along with what you were saying uh, at the beginning of this about NGOs, um, many projects that get started, especially in developing countries like this, only really take into account one part of the project. And usually that's the installation or the instigation of that project. So yes, we're going in and installing these uh, diverse polycultures, focusing on the preservation of heritage avocados, but we live here. And we're going to be around here for quite a few years, constantly checking in with our neighbors and observing how each of these systems evolves in each of their different contexts. So we are planning on seeing this through much further than just, you know, the season in which we we implement a bunch of systems, but actually working with the community that we are residents of to see that it actually works the way it was intended and and it works for the people that, that this was given to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a couple of points there. You know, one takes me back to what Chad was saying at the start of the interview about why he got disillusioned with um, with NGOs and and all that kind of stuff. And you know, it was a similar experience for me. I ended up doing a, doing a master's in in development studies. Uh, I really focused on like the sustainable development angle. Um, and it, it starts to look like an oxymoron after a while, this, this concept of, of developing places. Um, and I think both Shad and I had like quite strong sort of resistances to being, you know, these gringos who are like doing a, doing a community project because so often you see those, those projects have all these unintentional, unintended, uh, side effects, you know, um, and so, really, this this project is 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 the culmination of a long of of a long time of like soul searching and observation, um, and for good reason we're choosing to do it in in the place that we live because we want to be there to see how these living systems um, respond. Yeah, absolutely, um, and I think just also not rushing it. I think that's really important for us um, 
how Neil mentioned, we both have some experience working in the nonprofit world and kind of had our challenges with it. And I agree 100%. It's the unintended consequences of these projects that, that often just get left out. And um, now that we're talking about our idea and actually putting it into practice, I'm really kind of going through in my mind. We've been having good discussions about what are the unintended consequences of, of this project? We could talk about that. And two other things I wanted to touch on are uh, that I think we need to learn more about the avocado. That's like one thing. I, you know, uh, and the other thing is I would like to discuss a little bit about the process after it's planted. Like that we're, ta- we're basically mapping out the lands, getting the coordinates, that whole process. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. A huge part of of our jobs now that we've committed to doing this will be in in research and on putting systems in place so that we can observe the consequences of our work. Um, so, you know, uh, we're going to map out every parcel that we plant and we're going and, and we're going to map out planting densities. Uh, and then we're going to take rec- we're going to record um, management practices, and we're going to put them all put the we're going to record all those metrics um, and and observe the different things as they evolve, so that we can um, so that we can put in a a system and a and a, and a management sh- schedule that's that's as effective as possible. Um, and then we out yeah, for sure we both have a lot of study to do specifically on avocados so i guess i would like use this as a shout out to anyone who knows avocados uh, anything about avocados you know send us in and plant breeding send us um any cool resources you think you have uh because this is going to be you know a big area and i'm excited about it you know i love avocados that that helps <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you made that uh, shout out to anyone listening. If you know any good books or anywhere to start. Um, For me, I think it's going to be important to standardize a lot of the approaches, like standardize the planting technique of the avocado tree so we know they all get planted the same way. Uh, Standardizing what support plants, even if we change like which ones actually appear, but standardizing the ratio of like how many bananas for each avocado and then playing with it, but having some like guidelines around that. Um, and I also, you know, I think uh, this map to me just is really exciting too, that we just each parcel we have as like a GPS point. The, the land itself has a base map that we create with each of the varieties of avocados labeled on the base map. And we talked about this before, Neil, but I think this is this exciting idea of this communal managed, communally managed zone three kind of productive farm is basically what you called it, Neil. Yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, that that's super exciting to me because when I when I think about social permaculture and like really making the ripple spread out you know uh resilient communities i think have to have that sort of like shared zone three kind of commons area and you know anyone who's ever read like tragedy of the commons you do see how there's been this kind of like almost cannibalistic way in which sort of share lands that everyone benefits from um that just sort of gets eroded away and and for me it's also i'm so passionate about agroforestry you know this idea of like producing our food 
mainly from tree crops and perennial species you know that's so that's so important to me but being able to kind of do it in a way that doesn't involve acquiring a huge amount of land you know especially in 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 a country that has had a lot of issues with foreigners coming in and and buying up huge tracts of land and not that i'm necessarily against that but as a way of 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 starting it off and making sure that this agroforestry initiative in particular is bringing equal benefit across the community or at least as much as we can spread it out yeah because um I agree with that. I think, you know, also touching back to these unintended consequences. I mean, for me, I kind of think about it. Well, worst case, some, t- some people just completely neglect the parcel. Okay. That might happen. In which case, a lot of the trees may still survive and we have good, like, ideas of which varieties are better, you know, at, at being abandoned and still surviving. Um, you know, some, some people, you know, there is an element of, of handout isms in here uh the way the project works in a bit more detail is we actually offer a two-week full pay for someone from the family who owns the land one week to do the preparation of clearing and meeting with us to find the family's goals and make the design and then the second week of his work is working alongside us and we invite the whole family to come but we promise a salary for working their land and we also are distributing these trees which are paid for by the by the project um so there is a little bit of this risk of of giving things out but i think the fact that they're planting along with us and we're speaking about the maintenance was which is expected for like them to do um that could be another potential drawback but what i well yeah you want to say something new yeah i mean on the handout thing i i have thought about that but then you know i see it a little bit differently i mean farmers in the states get handouts from the government to plant uh monsanto seeds and uh and 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 technological packets of pesticides and and fertilizers and maybe that's great you know maybe the u.s government are just absolutely hitting the nail on the head by uh subsidizing and giving handouts for those processes but i i don't share that opinion i would prefer to uh charge money for this service which is an educational volunteer service and have that money go as a kind of a subsidy as a switch to ecologically appropriate agroforestry and again the worst case scenario for me is those parcels get abandoned but a, a bunch of trees still grow we learn a bunch of stuff from it the earthworks get done and and worst case scenario loads of birds feast and raccoons and and squirrels feast on the avocados you know that's not a terrible <laughs> no that's true that's um you know part of the design for this project is that there's very few downsides worst case scenarios are pretty minimal here nobody's going to uh really be unfortunate if this doesn't work out the way it was initially intended um and I know for myself that I'm really looking forward to helping to design the systems that take information from this so that we can take this model and replicate it in other places. Uh, I know, Shad, you were talking about, um, you know, getting proper maps of all the places, GPS locations. And I, you know, would I'm really looking forward to kind of collaborating on how to put together systems for checkup and maintenance to see how these things are progressing along, to see how quickly they come to harvest, even the economic impacts, if it helps to add uh, some income for these families, if it helps 
the divi- the diversity and the health of their coffee plants and things that were already there. Um, those differences and those changes are, are the information that I'm really looking forward to getting and definitely will be sharing in the future as well. Yeah. And, you know, a few other things that I'm really excited about is, um, f- you know, I hope, you know, if we start, we've been talking about maybe 10 varieties that we select. So we go through the valley, talk with a bunch of local avocado experts, just uh, Sununa community members that just know the trees and know the best tasting avocados. If we select 10, I really, there's just this excitement for me of like finding that one or two superstar trees. Those ones that are just super hardy and productive with low inputs and like really delicious avocado that fruits maybe multiple times a year, or maybe it's uh, fruiting when very few other avocados are, in, uh, other avocados are in season. So finding that superstar is like real exciting part of this project for me as well and just thinking you know 10 years from now if if we manage to plant 200 or 300 of these trees a year in five years we have over you know over a thousand trees that will hopefully be starting to produce uh my dream would be that you have some sort of cooperative of the local people bringing all these products together uh, because there's some uniformity and getting a really good price for them, uh, which would be, you know, on top of the natural resource conservation and ecosystem enhancement is now an eco- economic benefit that I think is totally a, a high potential for. I mean, yeah, I I totally share that vision. Um, and for me, it's, it's so fundamental because finding ways of of showing people that planting trees is has all because a lot of people don't see the immediate benefits of like sequestering carbon and 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 providing habitat for animals even though i think people are starting to realize that more and more um but i think this idea of community cooperatives based around agroforestry or productive tree species is it's 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 fundamentally i think very important you know yeah and i will say you know we've been talking about this and i'm i'm glad we dedicated so much time to this round table for this project because i think all of us are just super pumped for it uh but i do just want to know we've had an amazing videographer here with us through last week uh just getting a lot of, of footage and capturing special moments of this project where we did exactly what we've been talking about for the past 45 minutes. Um, and if you're curious to hear what the community thinks or what some of the Guatemalan uh, facilitators have to say about the project, sadly, uh, they don't speak English, so they wouldn't be uh, great to have them on this particular podcast. But on atilanarcanics.com backslash service, uh, you'll be able to see videos where we interview families who uh, – Nico's family who's received the work and also uh, interviewing other people who are considering it as well as hearing from our uh, other – uh, facilitator Jose Armando and some of the Guatemalans who come for scholarships. So you can also get their point of view if you're at all interested in learning more about the project. Certainly. I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up. Uh, certainly any of you listeners who have been inspired or interested by this project can get in touch with us, us directly. Uh, Shad, how can they get in touch with you and Atitlan Organics? Yeah, um, before I mention exactly how, I really do want to give a call one more time. If, if you at all uh, are interested in traveling to Latin America, and if you are associated with or the leader of any group that might enjoy this sort of work, 
please get in touch with us. It doesn't have to just be high schools or colleges. It could be a local CSA. It could be uh, a book club. It could be any group of people who want to come, you know, practice some Spanish, learn about the Mayan culture, do something awesome for the environment, learn about avocados. Uh, if this stuff sounds great to you, please get in touch with us because we really believe in this project. We really feel good about this type of travel. So uh, if you want to learn more, you can find us on, on our website, atilanorganics.com backslash service is about this particular project. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Atilan Organics, as well on Instagram at Atilan Organics and youtube.com backslash Atilan Organics. <laughs> Atilan Organics. <laughs> you guys are pretty good at your web presence for sure. And uh, yeah, we'll also have all the links to the things that Shad mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And we'll also link to this project at AbundantEdge.com. So please get in touch with us in whichever means is, uh, is most convenient for you. We'd love to have you out here. And we're really excited to collaborate on this awesome project. So thanks so much for taking the time today, guys. It was great talking to you again. Yeah. Great talking to you, Oliver. Hope to see you soon. <laughs> yeah, like as soon as we go to lunch. Um, and always a good time, Shad. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me, Oliver. All right, we'll catch you listeners uh, on another Regenerative Roundtable in a month. But up until then, you can uh, catch all the rest of the interviews coming out every Friday. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page, to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.